deeper down the rabbit hole. Saturday, 6 p.m., live in Toronto, Ontario, at the Queen City Curio Occult and Spiritual Store. Deep down the rabbit hole on a slightly off time because in the snow apocalypse of Eastern Europe, blizzard after blizzard, we are still finally able to get Andy Blackwood to come on the show today. So before we get into the show, where are we located at, Mr. Zach? We're located at 607 Gerard Street East, Unit 401 and 2, Toronto, Ontario, East Chinatown. So if you're interested... We do rituals almost every other week. Do you know what? If you want to get in on those rituals, you must be a sponsor. That's our that pitch. you do. I mean, last night's uh, Fox Possession ritual was crazy. It was. It absolutely was. And I wasn't there because I was the one getting possessed. <laughs> right. Right. Let alone that, like, uh, just so people know, we have a full... There's a Sangha group working out of here. That's Buddhist rituals. But uh, I'm going to own it. That I'm leading a Goetia study group that we're going to do Goetia work every yeah week. yeah <laughs> uh, every well maybe every couple weeks uh, but that's there's a whole uh, group of magicians who are a little bit a little bit darker uh, running at because we don't discriminate against any spiritual path if you have Wiccan rituals you want to run in the center if you want to. Uh, come on the podcast with us you know you want to record the rituals we have and kind of put them on the internet we have all the equipment you should come down here we, we are gunning and we will become toronto's most premier actual occult happens here store versus occult lifestyle accessories uh which most stores are there you go i said it so today we have a very interesting and somewhat controversial topic a lot of interesting points we're gonna talk about andy black wars uh, Order of the Dragon, Scholarmance, which is a book on vampirism, but we have to cover a few few points first. Um, that when we were just pre-discussing the show, uh, Andy Blackwood actually wanted to talk about. But before we do that, who is Andy Blackwood, Zach? Well, Andy Blackwood is a modern pioneer of the violently guarded medieval cult tradition of black magic known as vampirism. Born and raised in Central Europe, underwent initiation as a young man in numerous underground lodges and has inherited the priceless system of initiation and ritual within vampirism. And his name is N.D. Blackwood, which acts as a talisman. That's right. And and we have to actually even ask about the mask, because that came up. We talked about it. And, and when we were talking pre-show, there's a lot more, uh, you know, you'd think we're talking about vampirism and maybe it's about cosplay and why would people... So, Andreas having a technical issue. So, this is where he'll come back on when he can on that. With that, this is where we were discussing previously with Andy, like, why is the talisman mask necessary for the type of conversation we're having? So, hello, everyone. And, yeah, um, the mask, I think, as you may have guessed, is to protect my identity. The mask, actually, you know, probably will disappoint a few persons that fetish on it, but uh, have no magical value to me. Um, in my professional life, uh, I work as a doctor in a hospital. And, uh, oh, we're having technical issues. Oh, perfect. Technical <laughs> issues. We're back. We're back. Yeah, we are having some technical issues. 
So yeah, that was explaining. That's okay. Yeah, I work in the hospital as a doctor, and I guess that at least half of my patients would not be um, in peace with their ideas that their practitioner will write controversial books of black magic. Most of them will probably get scared, particularly here in Eastern Europe, where basically fears of traditional witchcraft and this kind of stuff is more present than in the Western part of Europe, where most of people are, let's say, atheists and regard magic as something weird but sympathetic. Here in Eastern Europe, you have people who are very Christian and who might consider my practice uh, as dangerous or take actions against me. So the mask is here basically to protect myself from this. Right. And that that is a difficult place to be because, you know, you've been initiated in this tradition. So there is a little bit of hiddenness to it about just protecting your professional life, pr protecting um, your friends and family in association with that. Right. So. Yes. Uh, and when I look at the world today and particularly Western Europe, you have the possibility for people to, to come up to the public, showing them their face and presenting themselves uh, as occultists. Here, it starts slowly since a decade to exist with, let's say, what we could call white magic. I don't know if the term is used in the Western world too, but white magic would be energetic work, angel walking, this kind of stuff. But when it comes to black magic, most of the people are still hidden, not showing them fa their face, most of the time not taking part into, into podcasts or this kind of stuff, just publishing books under pen name, and, and that's all. There's lots of which we saw with um, when, like, in the UK, somebody he had kicked off a forum went and murdered someone has not bought his books for anything any of his workshops but took some of the ideas in the form and took it took them in the wrong way um went oh sound is bad for the insult like sacrifice of women to uh, a demon let me rest assured no demon wants you to sacrifice women um yeah. to it particularly because you can't get women i mean that no <laughs> I mean, and so when we're talking about vampires and stuff like that, we 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 have to say that's not what's in the book. That's <laughs> we it's not it's nothing that talks about going to someone's house. Uh, the word everything talking about is on the it may offend a sensibility of people because they in a worldview that love is light and there is no bad in the world. World jet. Um, the sound is very problematic for me. I don't know if you hear me, but yeah. yep. Uh, hmm. All right, sound on uh, my end, good, Andy. Uh, yeah, on your side it's right. perfect, but uh, uh, on Andre it's um, like I have a, a half of the world only. Right, right. Uh, well, we're having some technical difficulties, so yes. yes. Um, Zach, carry this. Uh, yep. So with that, Andrea will join us back after technical issues and him fixing that up. Uh, Andy, this is where, you know, when we're having our pre-conversation, you're stating that there's a history to this, but, you know, it's this, the mass is there to uh, 
protector identity, things like this. But you 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 made a very clear point as con like what most of uh, the community in terms of a certain community would say, well, this is controversial, right? Like there is a history to this. Can you go into that yeah. a bit more? Yeah, um, uh, we're talking about uh, a comparison with when I read like some American authors like like um, will have popularized vampirism in, into the US, I guess, into the last decade. Like, um, I'm thinking about uh, Strigoi V things and this kind of uh, environment. Uh, they made a clear distinction that uh, blood should never be employed and there is no violence uh, link to the practice and this kind of stuff. Uh, for myself, uh, I tend to consider that the past half of the Strigoi uh, particularly here in Hungary, in Romania, possess an history of violence. And I, I must say that it's a violence that happened of, on both sides, uh, both coming from uh, people, Christian people, who basically killed uh, witches and, and uh, practitioners of the Strigoi path. And on the other side, of course, um, uh, violence that may come from people practicing witchcraft. Some are known to have gone a bit, let's say, too far uh, in the practice, and some at a different time period may have used uh, a violent practice. As a modern practitioner, I tend to consider that this is part of the history of what we are doing, just like the magic uh, practice by uh, the Egyptian or the Sumerian is different from the magic we practice today because the methods have evolved. Uh, we're not basically sacrificing animals anymore, just like the Romans were doing in that time. Uh, laws evolved, practice evolves, and I think it's the same type of stuff when it comes to the path of vampirism. Uh, nowadays, there are plenty of substitutes that can be used uh, and regarding my own activities, I tend to always stay in the context of the love. Right. So this is an important piece because you're discussing like it, it's in within the law of people, right? And there is a piece of when reading your material, I mean, it, it's the misinterpretation there. You're you're making it very clear in your book that no, like yes, the history is here, but we're staying within the law. And it's not what you probably think vampirism is, because people usually come probably with a perception of what that means. Yep. Yeah. Vampirism is an energetic practice. Uh, of course, um, this energy is, um, sorry, I'm looking for the English word, but uh, exists mainly in, in uh, sexual energy, sexual essence, so fluids, in breath, and in blood. And if you are referencing the acupuncturist tradition, uh, tradition in China, you will probably find the same things. Uh, the meridians uh, follow the blood vessels. So you have this idea that energy is carried by uh, different uh, means inside the human body, and that the human body is like, um, should I say, a vessel or a tube between the energy of the earth and the energy of the sky. Vampirism is taking this human energy by uh, different means. Most of the time, it's, it's implied touch. 
uh, but it may also imply a system of visualization and a kinesthetic aspect too to absorb this human energy to, from others inside yourself uh, to regenerate yourself, uh, boost your occult capacities, and in long term uh, have an alchemical work, which is the creation of what we call the body of black light. The body of black light being, let's say, a reinforcement of your own etheric body. And the purpose, final purpose of it is to be able to place your consciousness after your physical death inside this etheric body in order to obtain a certain form of uh, immortality and survival of your consciousness. Mm, right. So you, already this discussion is quite elaborate because you're talking about uh, possibly uh, spiritual immortality, which, I mean, other traditions would talk about that. Um but you're really taking it from a body-centered perspective first, where yeah. it sounds like when I'm hearing it, it's like you're taking energy from different places like the air, um, possibly like blood. That's the most literal piece, but that's not like what the first piece you would jump to usually. And given what I was seeing in the book, there's training methods where you don't even go there because it's you, you got to start with the energetics, right? Yep. What? Well, well, the blood um, idea that the vampire literally take physical blood is both a metaphor and a, a misinterpretation. The energy is inside uh, the blood, but to consume it, you don't have to consume the liquid itself. You don't have to drink blood. You have to extract the energy from the human body through the support of visualization, and uh, visualization is in my mind, nothing more than a support for kinesthetic and feeling practice, practice of the mind through um, the, the, the kinesthetic support. You have to extract this energy with your breath, with your intention, in order to take it inside yourself from the body of, of the other person to enter your own body and have an effect uh, indeed on, on your cells, on your muscles, on your bones, etc., etc. Right. So but, let, many, let's go ahead. Let, for, for, for a public that will be uh, listening to me, it will be um, very similar to magnetism, a, re a reversed form of magnetism. But to do it, you, you don't have to engage in a very physical action. You don't have to, 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 to act any act of contrition on the person. You don't have to. Uh, extract physically something. It you will basically do magnetic pass, and this magnetic pass, with the support of your intention of taking this energy, will absorb inside yourself the vital essence of the person. Right. So, what got you started in this path? I mean, you've been initiated into multiple uh, traditions on this or lodges. So, like, what's the story behind ND Blackward getting into this? <laughs> Yeah, actually, when I uh, I was um, in my younger age, I was studying different um, spiritual currents, and I was obsessed with the idea of immortality. Uh, I was very interested in, in the beginning by, by uh, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, for example, and, and then Chinese Buddhism. I, I was not satisfied with the Christian explanation, to be honest, uh, and I was thinking about how to obtain something uh, after physical death. But 
in most tradition around the world, there is this idea that the ego, your personality, your present personality cannot become immortal. It has to be cleaned somehow uh, by the process of reincarnation or by a, a process of spiritual awakening. But your ego is always considered something dirty, let's say. It's considered unclean or unperfect. And in every tradition that I put my nose in, there was this idea of letting go of your ego to become something else. And I was very unsatisfied with it. So I turned with time to black magic. And inside black magic, I discovered that there was a particular path to preserve your ego, your memory, your willpower, your skills after death. And that path, particular path, was, was then prison. That's how, that's how right. I, I started um, hanging around with people uh, practicing certain form of Satanism. And in this circle, I started uh, attracting the attention of, of uh, an elder man who basically turned to me and presented his approach to vampirism. And that's how I really started getting into this. Great, great. I think we, uh, Andreas, back on. So, ooh. Yep. Hello, sir. How's the internet working now? Seemingly okay so far. Yep. Quite some good. So you talked about, you did, I was listening, and you were talking about immortality as being one of the goals. Um, so describe what that means. Because um, I think that requires some clarification, too. Like, Yeah. Because um, maybe we're not talking about the classical Hollywood immortality, either. No, of course, even if there is some, some truth into this. Um, people who practice vampirism on a regular base and enter what I call the strain of vampirism or the chain of vampirism tend, from my experience at least, to age very slowly. You know, the person that I was referencing in the previous question, this elder man who um, took me under his, 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 his wing or form, let's say, to, to teach me. When I, when I met that guy, uh, I thought he was like in his 60s. And turned out after a decade of uh, learning from him, I, I learned his age and he was 95. So vampirism tend to not make you physically immortal, but at least you will stay young or ageless for a certain period of time. Now, the objective of what I call immortality is the preservation of your personality, your memory, your skills. You're not going to be cleaned out by a process of reincarnation. You're not going to have to cast that aside to go to a certain place or heaven. You're going to crystallize this by an alchemical work. And with this, you're going to build what I call the body of black light, which is, let's say, your astral body for those May have to I may have to explain what is an astral body, but is your astral body become your a vehicle uh, for this um, memory, skills, consciousness, uh, willpower, and of course occult powers. And in the context of vampirism, to maintain this, you will have to feed. You will have to feed because this body is always a bit uh, disintegrating. So vampiric entities as every other entity feed, and they feed from um, energy, human essence being one of the most refined. So by drinking and feeding, you're 
preserving your body and preventing it to disintegrate. Now, if we want to go a bit further into vampirism, there also ways to prevent it to disintegrate. You, you, you can join what I call a strain, which is basically like a hive of, of spirit. And basically, when you're into this, you will be fed by the energy of the hive and you don't have the disintegration problem. But that's, uh, let's say, a higher practice. And what I describe in, in my book, Scholomance, it's the main team of, of Scholomance. But a lot of people don't use this uh, methodology and they still have this, this uh, idea of always being on the hunt. So how does the hive actually get it? Does it get energy from the uh, vampirism, vampirizing as a collective? Or? Yep. Yes. It, um, the hive is, in my opinion, if we admit the hypothesis that um, uh, every layer of this universe is made of vibrations, I guess you're familiar with the idea, the, the hive will be one of this vibration. And the, the, the etheric bodies of uh, any people packed with a strain or aligned with a strain will basically be anchored to that uh, layer of vibration. And every member of this hive basically feed and feed um, the hive itself, whatever they are undead or still in living on the physical plane. And every time you feed, you basically feed all the others. So basically, it's a process of being stronger together. Makes perfect sense. Like, it's basically, um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So this notion of immortality sounds very familiar to the Taoist notion of immortality, too, although the mechanism is very different. Yep. Um, yes. That you re remember. Well, in that case, you don't have an astral body, but you do. But you remember from lifetime to lifetime all the components. Um, and but this will I, become after death become like a spirit. What? What I what, what I was uh, in Go my ahead. first years, there was one of my mentors always was always referring um, the Taoist option, uh, and he was referring Taoist immortals as flying dragons. And I don't know exactly where, but there was this idea that people using that became immortal and were sometimes represented as dragons. So mm. make a connection with, with the Eastern European practice. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's valid or not, but uh, at least it was a very uh, anchored belief here in, in Hungary. That's interesting. Interesting. Because the first thought that I had was this is very similar to the goals. Although it seems like as a vampiric immortality, you are not tethered to a body. You, are, you become a vampiric spirit that could feast off the living and you're not constrained to the reincarnation cycle either. Yes, indeed, because when you, you packed with, with, with this strain and your astral body uh, become anchored to it, um, your superior body, uh, admitting they exist, have to go somewhere else. So I, we admit that this uh, superior body are cut from, from uh, the crystallized ego that stay inside the... Um, uh, the string. So this is why I think we are agreed with popular culture when the, it says that the, the vampiric practice cast your soul away. Now th there is a mystery to that because uh, we don't exactly know what happened to the soul at this moment. So I mean part of that is true then you know 
when we look at like the the Dracul rituals and stuff like that, the, their other vampiric masters, there is sort of a built into the process an exchange. Like you get power, obviously you get the need to feed um, because you're feeding the hive and you're feeding the other draconic masters. But you as a uh, after death, you would envision this to be um, that you would also kind of make a deal with people who are interested. Like you would, you'd give them like occult spiritual abilities in exchange for helping to feed the hive. Yeah. Yes, definitely. It's always a process of exchange. And uh, I think it's Bram Stoker, actually, who had a very deep knowledge of vampirism, was saying something very interesting. He was saying the chain of vampirism is always expanding. And to make the hive stronger, um, this this strain has to expand, has to recruit new members. And it's beneficial for the spirits who will use the new adept as a gateway to the physical world. It means they will have not only the energetic feeling they receive from it, but they will also have physical sensation inside his body. But for the new adepts, in exchange, he received powers and the ability to be anchored in the strain. So it's always a, a process of give and take. So One in of the, the book... Things that... Go ahead, Andrea. No, go ahead, Zach. So with that, you're talking about the... you know different strains and things like this uh could you get into talking about the different traditions you mentioned because there's many different traditions of vampirism you discussed and how that implies to the hive so there is um let's say first of all i think there is different hives uh we have a main line let's say here in 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 central europe um but there, there is few different others one coming from russia uh, but there is a lot of other hives on uh, on Earth. Uh, for example, the Middle East during antiquity have a very strong hive. So I don't work with this one. Um, there is particularly one in Central America, which is new to us, um, and which have been um, subject of many books that have been translated in European countries. Stories of uh, shamanic practice with, with uh, sorcerers transforming themselves into bats. Um, I don't remember the names of, of the Mesoamerican uh, gods, but uh, it's a very vampiric practice. So there is different approach to vampirism, but always the same goals. Let's say it's always about preservation of consciousness. And it's always about draining the life essence of, of the targets to maintain the stability of either the hive, either the line, or either um, the astral body of a solitary practitioner. Now, on modern time, and uh, I tried to, to um, discuss this a bit in, in the book that we are co-writing together, and we, uh, there is this um, new tendency, let's say, of people who don't want to join a hive in particular, but want a form of auto-initiation into vampirism, basically use the advantages of vampirism, the ability to travel out of your body, the ability to uh, stay young by feeding your astral body and physical body with life essence, and possibly the possibility of um, survival of your consciousness after death without pacting with, with any 
uh, demonic entity or, or any undead master. And this is a possibility that have been discussed mainly by U.S. authors, if I'm correct. I, I don't know any Eastern European uh, authors that will go into this, but Michael Fold, I've discussed it a bit in, in, in his uh, Vampire Gate and, and Akaru. Yeah. There probably is some strains of sort of, of course, it was the U.S. because, you know, hyper-individuality. And a high sort of mindset is the opposite of hyper-individuality. It's, it's like you're literally agreeing to be part of a, a collective and work collectively yeah. towards the goal. So that, That's something that I see sense. when I... When I, I talk to, to, to U.S. Col- colleagues or people who contact me for vampirism and, and rituals, I, 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 I have this idea of people uh, asking about individuality question. I, I think it's more cultural because it's it's something that comes very less in Eastern Europe. Uh, I never heard someone saying, oh, no, I don't want to, 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 to be cast off my individuality. Uh, and, and that is something that I, I have a lot with my uh, U.S. readers. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, the left-hand path uh, modalities in uh, North America, I'd say it includes Canada, are very much about um, individuality. individuality. And kind of, yeah, even to the point of some people will be like, they don't want to have any spiritual bindings like or re- relationships or uh, packs or anything that would bind them to it. To spiritual power where there's a obligation uh yeah so that that sounds about right <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's it, it's interesting uh it, it's it's a cultural difference that i did not thought about at first when, when i was studying this book and I, I discovered it's it's always interesting to learn about people around the world and how they see magic how this is got their own vision and i i i get to say that i respect that it's interesting it exists in in Eastern Europe. You you we have what we call the Morois, and the Morois is basically a sorcerer who don't want to get too much into vampirism. You don't want to be uh, part of of uh, you have the constraint of vampirism, and and for this reason, he is somehow an hybrid between a vampire and, and a human. But still, most of them still uh, at the end end up in the strain. Let's say. So if you pursue that path, you don't get the necessarily benefits of the hive either. You don't get the uh, inter- the information streams coming from basically from your subconscious mind that tells you how to do things. Yeah. Um, but it's possible that you could develop the skills, but it's a much longer road. Yes. Um, that's not the path that I've chosen for myself, I must say. Uh, but I don't have this particular need for individuality. To the point that I I I wouldn't accept to co-work with entities. So when I uh, I discovered vampirism, I accepted the idea that I had to team up with uh, beings and, and other living magicians to to basically be able to perform stuff that I wouldn't be able to to do alone. Um, but I respect the idea that people are so attached to their individuality is uh, that they don't want any link with anyone. But it still would, like I said, it would still require much more discipline and practice because yes. you wouldn't be getting the help. Like when you make a spiritual pact with a demon or a, or a strain or something like that, and it's real, you get information 
like on how to do things like it, it it's not book knowledge but we, we all know what a real pack looks like you are getting information and you're getting a little bit of probably ability uh from that channel to actually build your own ability from but without that you have a much longer road you have you have much more practice you have to have much more discipline like you have to have you have to do much more trial and error and you have to have a lot more well you have to be willing to go a much longer road to to get the same sort of boost yeah and there's a, it, there's, there's a, a real consequence to doing this and it's not a bad consequence but it means like everyone who's saying that means they have to work three times as hard and that's okay. That's fine. And there is still a problem of if you ever stop, um, basically you will return to point zero at a certain moment. It's like you can't really stop because if you do, basically the effect that you have work on to maintain your body on a certain energetical level will be canceled. That, that's the sad problem of this path. Whereas on the other side, if you join uh, the, the strain, basically you will be permanently fed uh, and connected to the energy of uh, the, the astral layer that we talked about previously. Problem with this is that even if you have regret, if you, even if you want to break the pact, you can't. You will be always linked to it, and ba basically you, your, your fate is linked to it. So it's pretty much up to you to choose, basically, in consciousness uh which option you want to take but to be honest i would not recommend doing uh the solitary path and progressive path for for for, for people who don't necessarily want to, to to stay absolutely in their individuality the only thing i can say uh, about this is that there is also people who want to use the benefits of vampirism without dedicating fully their life to vampirism. Now, you, you can be a great galactic magician or, or uh, someone doing sex magic and wanting to take elements of vampirism, um, dedicating, let's say, 30% of your practice to, to vampirism as a boost or as a way to stay young or as a way to basically be able to infiltrate the dreams of others. I don't know, but you may choose to use vampirism as a tool and not as an end goal. And if you don't use it as an end goal, well, this, this type of work is perfectly fine. It suits you. But if you want to dedicate your life to vampirism, in my opinion, the, the, the option of the, of the vampiric chain is a royal path. You might have talked about this with Zach, but how do you get past the natural inclination of most people aren't? Uh, by nature probably predatory um or they view the world in a way that doesn't allow for probably i would say the truth the small t truth that the, it doesn't allow for the fact that the world of fat is in fact predatory um how do you develop because if you have to hunt you have to be able to to well in my be a predator how do you develop my, that at first i, I think i strongly think that it's a question of nature uh, in my case, probably of education, but uh, I was raised in the countryside. My, my dad was always um, taking me with him to hunt when I was a kid, uh, hunting deers and this kind of stuff. Uh, I grew up 
in a place where you have to, to basically go, go to the farm and, and and kill your your own animals and it was a part of countryside life to me so i was okay with the idea since i was a kid now of course i wasn't okay with you know the sinister path of um, you know the public image we have of werewolves and this kind of stuff because uh, when you're a child you're afraid of this thing particularly here but the idea of, of being on the top of the food chain as a human was always natural to me and when i had the idea that you can gather life force from you human beings basically prolonged my own life and basically be better i was okay with the idea i never had moral problems with this i never um i never felt bad about it. and just to be certain of something if you want to hurt someone with vampirism you you will have to abuse them it's possible i like to be clear on this this is highly possible you, you can make a, someone sick with vampirism can be very tied with vampirism but it's not something that you, is going to happen because you drink from him once while you are both sitting together in in public transport you have to do it on a regular basis to get the person tied if you're just doing it one time on on any person and, and basically let the person rest for a few days what is going to happen is basically the person is going to well felt a bit tired for a few hours is going to have a good night of sleep and after that is is energetical body will realign and readjust because that's what happened in in any human body uh, we have a system of meridians that is always uh, working uh, to to repair the imbalance and the imbalance you have created is going to be repaired if you abuse this and you drink from the same person every days for like let's say a, a week two weeks or even a month his body won't have the chance to recover you are going to break this uh, recovering cycle and this is where the problems come where the people is going to get sick sick and sick uh, until um, something uh, wrong happens let's say but um, well, that brings a very interesting point up because like th that's probably not what people think and i mean i i and i really appreciate the worldview because it, it sort of like um i do not necessarily have a just worldview of of people uh believing that well that it's just people aren't predatory people are generally predators too so to, that's just a breath of honesty uh yep. that not justifies psychic vampirism but basically places it already in the ecosystem of what we are um and the second real thing is that you're getting to something that's basically ethical vampirism um and there's other i think i've read other material too that goes even further to say that you know and by what i know about and what zach knows who's you know a professional chinese medicine person um there's times at which uh draining a person's energy actually helps them uh or can mm -hmm. help them because it forces them to to actually rebuild those energy channels in a more correct manner or removes blocks in ways that wouldn't possibly otherwise get removed because they're just the energy is just stagnant so even the vampirism that you're describing with a casual meaning could be helpful 
if it forces them to sleep and uh, get their energy flowing again. And in my opinion, because I, I did some, some studies uh, on the Chinese system too, uh, um, the system I, I studied work with a system of element, uh, you know, water, fire, wood, and metal. And if you basically drink an excess, for example, of water, you may be able to um, basically reduce some of uh, the qualities of, of a person. If a person has uh, too much water uh, in, in the kidneys, for example, um, restraining uh, and you decide intentionally to, to take this water, basically it will create an equilibrium with, with the opposite of water, which is the fire. So, of course, you can use vampirism uh, in some ways to, to, to unlock few things. It's, in my opinion, harder than it seems because acupuncture is a very complex system that works with points and, and needles and doing it with vampirism will probably work more like, uh, let's say, a grenade than a, a sniper rifle. But um, in any case, just by draining um let's say superficial energy one time per even one time per week to a person won't necessarily be enough to harm her that being said if you want to harm her basically repeat the operation again again and again until basically the energetic system can't recover alone by going to sleep by resting you basically break the person and a person with uh, an imbalance in energy is going to catch a lot of disease one after the other. But that might also turn against you because you may start feeding from its disease too. So that's why as an energetic vampire, you have to go for a healthy person. You have to go for, let's say, the quick snack on a healthy person and not basically focus yourself on, on a person and taking his shit in. Makes perfect right. sense, actually. I mean, in that too, like you know, once you have vampirized the person, you kind of mentioned that you can enter their dreams, um, and maybe we could talk about that a little. How does that work? How does once you get their energy, how then do you kind of translate to enter uh, to dream walk into them? Um, well, yeah. after you fed on them. The dream plane is, after all, a plane of, of thoughts. Dreams are nothing more than thoughts. When I, when I was doing my first uh, experiences on astral vampirism, I always thought that it was about going into, let's say, a, a side dimension, like there is in this show, Stranger Things. You know, you, you jump into the side dimension, and, and, and I was wrong, absolutely wrong. Uh, going on the astral world is going in the in the world of thoughts, and going into the world of dreams is being able to, to, to go into the world of thoughts. You're going to forget about this physical plane and go exclusively in the world of thoughts to act. And thoughts of people in this planet act as, let's say, an, an ocean. So you have to go into this ocean of thoughts, target someone, through visualization, through kinesthetic sensations, and act on that person basically as you will do in the physical world to um, basically take the life essence. Now, people who are sleeping are emanating much life essence than people who are awake. And there is certain 
um, psychic state such as sexual excitation and fear or pain, but uh, I don't use pain personally, that um, um, create a stimulation of the energetic system. And when people are in this specific uh, state, it is easier to absorb a greater amount of energy. That's where the myth of the succubus come from. Succubus are basically stimulating your, your astral body and, and your sexual interest in order to absorb it. So in one way, then, like some of the other myths of vampirism and vampires in particular, like, you know, if someone's a willing donor, like, it, essentially, that's the myth of the over-eroticism you're describing. Like, you once they associate that with the vampiric practitioner, like, they may give that kind of stuff in dreams or um, in person. Well, um, to be honest energy. with you, the willing donor is something that I never heard about in Eastern Europe. I think it has okay. been popularized in U.S. culture, I guess, by Michel Belanger. Um, yes. I will say that. Well, the, and, I, I, and will, I will say that, that, that it, it is an efficient system. If you have people willing to give you things for free, well, or, or in exchange of some somehow, it, it's basically a good way to feel. Uh, uh, it's efficient. It works. Now, in the tradition that I practice, I haven't heard about it here. Uh, vampires from, from uh, over these latitudes tend to infiltrate the dreams of unwilling persons. They, they tend to, to sexually stimulate them during the dreams and then feed from their life force or use what we call lycanthropy, which is basically the opposite, stimulating a nightmare placing the person into a state of nightmare and basically fitting from it. Well, M Michelle uses kind of a different, the, the approach Michelle generally uses, you know, is basically one of fame and, and then basically that's the doorway um, to get it. It's sort of the opposite um, because she's not afraid, she's not necessarily afraid of uh, um, people, uh, you know, people actually, you know, being scared enough to do anything yeah. about it there's there's a whole a whole lot of authority and uh, yeah. public public protection that that they built up for that to work um i don't know that someone just starting from scratch could build that up from yeah I, I, and in the context where i live you know there, there will always be this uh, rejection of what we are doing uh, I, I never say always, but at least in this century, there is still uh, th this uh, type of reject of black magic. Uh, I, I, there is not the romanticized and cool aspect of it. Uh, there, there will always be this Christian defiance. So the system of donor will not probably work here. Probably not work in Eastern Europe. Yeah. No. Well, we're about at the hour mark. Do you have any new materials coming out or any um, new, maybe not in-person appearances, but anything's going on with Become a Living God that you want to kind of relay to people? Well, outside Skullman's, uh, uh, me and Iek Wedding that you invited recently are going to do a ritual uh, on um, November 13th. Uh, now, I, I don't know if the show is going to, to be online since, maybe not, 
but we are going to have a, a very interesting group rituals to, to evoke the spirit of a particular strain. So basically, if you want more information, just go to become a vanguard and, and see the ritual. Now, I'm going to be part of the Ascent uh, Copadium that is going to, to um, be released, I guess, in December or in January. And I develop um, uh, an experience of Emprism that I've been conducted with uh, all friends in my, in my prime years. And this was an experience of mixing uh, sexual alchemy with basically the classical practice of Emprism. So it, it, it was more like an experience, but uh, an interesting experience of mixing stuff. And, and I wanted to, to put that on a paper. Never had the occasion on it one of my grimoires because they are very um, specific to, to specific teams like, like uh, the Draculian strain or, or the method, methodology of vampirism in Indogadote. But in this compendium, I had a chance to place this as practice. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, this will be out before November 13th. In fact, it's live right now, even with the technical difficulties. The podcast yes. will probably be out next week. Um, so, and for full disclosure, I am also an author that is in the Ascent Compendium. Um, so that way people don't say, oh, you brought him on the show and you didn't mention you're also writing materials with him. I'll be like, that's full disclosure. So now I have. Um, full disclosure right there. Right. Uh, if you have a chance, like, check out that ritual. It should be, uh, I wouldn't say a fun time, but an enlightening one. And a very much an empowering one yeah thanks a lot for inviting me oh, Zach. oh we'd love to have you come back it was a great show absolutely it was a great show i think i have i think i have things to ask about things that were taught to me from my east i'm ukrainian people know that yep. my family's from ukraine and there was things they said yep. that really resonated with some of the things you were saying um especially from certain family members that i heard the stories of what they did <laughs> Interesting. So, before we leave, what do we have coming up, Zach, at the store? At the store, we have a Lower Dantian meditation on December 3rd. We have a basic witchcraft coming up, also, class. Uh, well, these are going to be in person. You say that's basically about uh, grounding and centering, using crystals, yes. so you cannot go insane through the holidays. It's these know, basically... De-stressing the holiday bullshit. Uh, and then we have your cups workshop coming up for our sponsors next weekend. And then after that, we'll be having ones the week after. So not directly week after, but every two weeks we'll have that. So just check out schedule. We also have in the new year a Lux series attunement with the Lucky Buddha on six different points of luck that he represents. And we also have our Fox workshop, the Taoist Fox ritual workshop. So, if that's anything like last night, I think everyone's in for a shockingly awesome experience. Good time, not necessarily. Good time, not necessarily totally light either, uh, since foxes go both ways. And um, yesterday's ritual, any take on that? Uh, was uh, that was pretty intense. That was intense. Say. I was, I was out. <laughs> You got possessed. I was prostrating in front of this this fox god, which people don't know is also called a fairy, but a large fairy god. And uh, it was it was intense. Uh, and that was for a luck ritual. But there's other fairies. Uh, I mean, not of other foxes. Some of which are 
for death, some of which are bad luck, some are all different aspects you could think of. There's different foxes, and they get around the celestial bureaucracy, which means you can get to the immortals without the right ceremonies. And that's what we're going to teach is primordial Taoism through the fox magic. So you can get to some of the other immortals without the initiations, because that's actually what foxes do in classic Chinese Taoism. Once you get their favor. Yeah, they know someone, they know someone. They get you the VIP to the back door of the immortals without necessarily have to wait in line if you know them and you bribe them correctly. And that's what we're going to teach. After that, the other classes coming up that we are going to schedule, there are going to be a formal art and magic class where we teach the foundational aspects of how to imbue art with magic. Not how to do it, per se, but how to train to be able to do it, which is more important than how to do it. How to do it's easy. You just magically go talismanically bless something, but that doesn't tell you how to imbue an art, piece of art, or writing as you're actually uh, building it. And instead, we're going to teach you the foundational techniques of how to train, magically speaking, to make this happen so every piece of art you do is magical and not in some new age magical sense of, oh, all art is magical. I mean, no, it is a magical talisman that other psychics can actually um perceive they can know and anyone who has any sensibility whatsoever will acknowledge this is a magical talisman and there is a training mechanism to do that and we're going to be teaching people that and we're going to work on that class probably in early march um and or late february but we're definitely we're going to definitely do that um because there's been a lot of interest people have seen the initial techniques some of those techniques are actually in the sent articles that i wrote um you could get the article about what those te- some of those initial techniques look like um, to build talismans from Become a Living God, of which Andy Blackwood is also there. So if you need two excuses to get the scent article, here it is. There's one thing about magic. There's one, I don't call tech foundational technique of magical art, but it is. And Andy Blackwood's experimentation with alchemy and vampirism is there in the Ascent uh, book from Become a Loving God. So there you go. Get the book. Get it. I don't think we have a... That's all we have going on. So everyone is a little bit off off day, but so all the listeners, which is a few people watching, listen, we appreciate yeah. you. If you watch this After Effect, we really appreciate you. If you're in Toronto, become a sponsor. There's a whole bunch of different sponsorships levels. Even at the lowest level, you can attend their public rituals. Um, we've made the decision not to allow the public to any rituals anymore uh, for a lot it's of reasons. Sponsors. If you're not sponsoring us, you're not sponsoring us. These rituals have costs. And if you're not at least putting minimal sponsorship in, you know, there's got to be an exchange. Then um, if you're not doing it, you're not serious enough to, to attend. So we're not, we're not inviting that anymore, but we are, do do rituals every two weeks, different spirits. Me and Zach are both chaos magicians, you know, so we, we mix it up. We already talked about the fact we be doing Goetia rituals, which, you know, you could get into for just yes. being a sponsor with an invitation. So I think you can handle it. Uh, if I think you can't handle it, I'm not, uh, it's not happening. We have a vetting process. <laughs> so you know, we have a vetting process. process. 
Yeah. But other rituals such as the luck blessings and stuff like that, when we're just doing rituals for the store or stuff like that, we do rituals a lot. We are going to invite you there and uh, you should become a sponsor and come out. I mean, the whole point of this is to do magic, not read about it. Well, right. And then we just have our consecrated altar opened for the public. Right. That's the last thing. We have a public consecrated altar to the dead in our hallway, which has been consecrated to multiple spirits, lords of the dead, that you can come to and just pray to your ancestors. Um, but we'll release more materials on that. It's an open shrine. As long as the building's there, you can some sit. There's a bench across from it. Anyone can come do it. And it's there's stuff, uh, tools that the community has donated inside that you can come and use the shrine to the dead if you don't have the room or your aunt, your you don't feel comfortable doing it in your apartment. We know because you have roommates, we know Toronto's a hard place to live. There's not a lot, of, everyone has space issues. It's so we have a little shrine. You can come here. The building, uh, if even if the building's not open, you just you can call us, we'll let you come in. You don't have to come buy anything from the store, just come do what you got to do, and then you don't even have to uh, say anything else if you just give us a call. We'd like you to come buy stuff, but you don't have to. Um, and that's part of our community service. The first of the shrines that we're making, there'll be more uh, for the community to come here and you can just do what you need to do, even if it's um, even if you don't have the materials. And of course, if you want to make get oils or stuff like that to during your own process, we have them available. But that public shrine, you don't need to buy anything. You it's out there in the public. Um so come out. We do take donations. And we would we add, we'd donations. invite and we'd invite Andy Blackwood to come out to our shrine too and come to our center. But he's in Eastern Europe, so when he comes to Canada, we'll we'll invite him in. Well, a pleasure. Yes. yes. As always, um, people know. You know, I hate to say it as this late to be the voice of reason, but COVID numbers are going up, uh, and so stay safe and well and stay healthy. And with that, this has been Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. Have a great day. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole is sponsored by the Queen City Curio and Apothecary in Toronto, Ontario. Proudly in East Chinatown. Our store is at 607 Gerard Street East. Unit 401. Just take the elevator up to the fourth floor and we're right there. We carry the finest spiritual goods for all spiritual paths. Whatever you are into, we can help. Check out our full public library of occult materials with over a thousand books. Accessible anytime the store is open. Check us out online at queencitycurio.ca. Be sure to leave a wish at our wish shrine right outside our door. You never know, it may just come to pass.